0: Hey, so we are launching this series on Jonah. I'm just curious, by show of hands, how many of you have heard of Jonah? Not Jonah Hill, but Jonah and the whale. Most, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people have heard the story of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the fish, Jonah and the sea monster. And so, um, just a little bit about that. You know, sometimes we get caught up on Jonah and the fish, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the sea monster. But, but the story, and we're going to deal with that later on in the message. But the story actually isn't about Jonah and the whale. The story is about a God and how he runs after runaways, amen? Like the story is about God and what he's looking for and how he comes after us and how he chases us down. And no matter how, far we, no matter how fast and far we run, we never create any distance from us and God. Now, now, Jonah got something that we all want, man, something we all wish for, something we've all asked for at least once. And Jonah got a word from the Lord. Anybody ever want like this audible voice from God? Like, God, I got that decision to make. I need a sign. God, give me a sign. Come on, God, if he's the one to make his net worth $4 million, right? I mean, if he's the one, you know, God, if I'm going to take this job, have them call me right now, Lord. Like we, we want that. So many decisions we make in life, so many opportunities we have. We would love if what it feels like a little more input. And Jonah got a word from the Lord. Man, it was clear and it was precise, And it was very, very specific. And Jonah ran in the opposite direction. Seems crazy, doesn't it? Like you get the thing that we're all wanting and looking for and wishing for it, and you go the other way. Yeah, we all do it, don't we? And we all run the other way. We've all avoided God. Man, we've we've all done some things that we knew God didn't want us to do. Or maybe we compartmentalized our lives and we avoided God. And God just continues to chase after us and run after us. Like So for you today, I believe that you're not here by accident. I think the reason you're here is because God is coming for you. And not to do something, not to punish you and hurt you, but to save you and rescue you. To give you a hope and a future. Like this is the God that we serve. Amen right there? So we're going to look at the story of Jonah. And we're going to look at how it can transform our lives, not just a little bit, but a lot. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be uh, in the book of Jonah. Now, real quick, a little bit about how the Bible's set up, because I know a lot of people are new to Bible study. This one book has 66 books in it. I know it feels a little weird, but 66 books in this one book. One of those books is named Jonah. Now, Jonah is a, is a short book. It's about four chapters. It's about two pages. It's about 48 verses. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to go through um, every uh, one chapter per week as we teach. Now, another thing that we've done is that we have created a version reading plan, a version reading plan, and th- you have a card in your seat that's got one of those QR codes on it. H- how does that work, by the way? Does anybody in here know how you can have some dots? And you can take a picture of it and it's going to go to a menu at your favorite restaurant. This is going to bring up a menu. No, it's going to actually take you to a reading plan. You can also uh, snap it from the screen. It's going to take you to a reading plan for the book of Jonah. And this is a personal invitation from my YouVersion account for us to all read this together. I'll be leading this over the next four weeks. It'll be one week at a time. So if you would, go ahead and sign up for that. We had over 100 in the first service to sign up for that. If you guys would go ahead, we know you want to win. So... Go ahead and sign up for that so you can be successful and you can be the better of the two services. And you're going to read a short devotional when you get to, and then there'll be some questions at the end every single day. And we'll read through the book of Jonah together over the next four weeks. Don't miss out on that. And so we're going to start out in chapter one, verse one, in the book of Jonah, verse one, it says, now the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So the word of the Lord, he got it. Okay, he got the word of the Lord. He said, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So he's telling Jonah, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh, go to that city. It's wicked and evil. I want you to preach against it and then and just do what I tell you to do. But Jonah rose to flee, from, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, now, just a little of a historical context here for this particular part of the story. So there's this great city called Nineveh. Nineveh was founded by a guy named Nimrod. See, you only thought that was what you called your friends when they did something bad. It literally was founded by a guy named Nimrod, known as one of the most evil, brutal, and barbaric cities in history. And not to get too gory in the details, I'll just give you a couple of examples, just to kind of, so we have in our mind exactly the level of command that God has given to, to Jonah. So Nineveh, there was historical accounts that they would bury their enemies up to their neck, nail their tongue to the ground, and watch them die. Like, it's brutal. There, there are accounts where their leaders would write in the annals of their history that they would write about how, how they uh, demolished cities and the devastation that they caused and the personal pain they inflicted on people. It was evil. It was brutal. It was barbaric. Like, like you probably couldn't blame Jonah for not wanting to go there. So Jonah gets in the ship to go to Tarshish. Now, Nineveh was east from where Jonah was. Tarshish was west, and he goes the complete opposite direction. Now, Tarshish, for Jonah, it was kind of this idealized port city. In your mind, if you could imagine what comes to your mind when you think about uh, a small little village on the Mediterranean Sea that's kind of built into an alcove with the nice, uh, colorful little houses right there on the beach. It feels like you could just go into the water and grab a fish and eat it fresh. I mean, this is the gorgeous scenery that we have from Tarshish. And this is where Jonah wanted to go. Now, let's be honest. Man, if I get to pick the destination and the agenda, that's where I want to go. I'll follow God if he lets me do that, right? Most of us would. Like, let me start a resort ministry in Aspen, Colorado, or something like that. People will tell me all the time, hey, we should start a campus in Seaside, Stephen. No, nobody ever says? We should start a, start a campus in Huntsville, Alabama, right? <laughs> if we can pick the destination and ask God to bless it, if we can pick the agenda, just say, hey, God, will you get on my plane? We're all about it. But, but see, Jonah had reasons not to go. City was evil, possibly dangerous for him to walk into a city with that much um, destruction and evil in it and to begin to preach, hey, you guys are going to be destroyed. Like it could be dangerous for him. And and, and don't we have our reasons too for not following God? Like don't we have our reasons for thinking that we know better than God? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at your situation and say, God, I wouldn't do this like that. Now we have our reasons. We're, We're more sophisticated. You know, things have changed since God created the world. We have Netflix, for crying out loud. We have a stock market. God, you surely don't know anything about my finances. God, you know, we're more developed now. Certainly your sexual ethic has changed. Like We got some reasons, just like Jonah. We got resources, just like Jonah. You see, Jonah, the implication of how this is phrased in this particular part of the Bible is that he didn't just buy his own ticket. He bought the entire ship. He paid for everybody that was on it. He paid the crew, he paid for supplies that were on it. He paid for all of it to go to a place of his own choosing. See, Jonah, Jonah had resources just like us. You ever notice how many resources we have? Man, we have so much resources. and one of the reasons I think that Jesus taught on that is' not because resources and money is bad, but because we have this tendency to depend on it. Amen. Like it can make us feel independent. When we have enough and we don't put our full attention on God, we have reasons, we have resources, and Jonah also had options. He could have gone to any city, but he goes as far away from the presence of God that he can go, and he's avoiding God. You know, we all have some simple strategies for avoiding God. We like to think they're really complex and sophisticated, but they're they're very, very simple. The first one is just outright rebellion. And we just go the other way. It's, for a lot of people, it was your freshman year in college when that happened. Come on, somebody. You don't really remember that because you don't want to, right? Um, and, and maybe it was later in life. Maybe it was in high school. Or maybe it's now that you're going completely away from the things that God has for you. You know they're wrong. You know that they're hurtful to other people. That they're destructive to your own life. Yet you continue to rebel against God and to go against the way that, the, that life should work. And we have rebellion, but there's also this other this other strategy that we have and that I think probably this fits more people in the room today and it's called religion. Religion is a perfect tactic for us to be able to avoid God. You see we can go through the motions We can go to our Bible study or church and we can do a few things. We can be nice to people. We can follow the Ten Commandments. We don't kill anybody. We're not running around in our spouse. We're good people. So guess what? God owes me. God owes me because I'm a good person. And if God can owe me through my behavior, guess what? He'll stay at arm's length and he will not ask me to go to Nineveh. And we buy into this idea that religion is actually, our Savior rather than the Savior Himself. And in the Bible Belt, ooh, we gotta watch it. We've been to church, we grew up in church, we stopped going to church because we didn't like it. Then we went back to church. We go to that Bible study, we have all this information. And we go, to, we go to our ladies' Bible study and our men's accountability group and we listen to podcasts. I mean, we got all this knowledge and just soaks into us until it actually makes us poisonous because we don't do anything with it. And we can avoid God through religion. Now, now this, this idea of avoiding God, it has to do with our heart. In Matthew chapter 15, verse eight, Jesus says it this way. He says, people honor me with their lips. They say the right things, but their heart is far from me. And this is God's goal for us that He would have our heart, that our heart would be engaged with Him, that we weren't just going through the motions. You know, and and people, we avoid God in a lot of ways, and it doesn't just start out this majorly jump into a heroin addiction overnight, does it? We kind of ease into it. We slide into it a little bit. Hey, the first step, the first step to running from God is just, we just acquiesce some of the small things in life. And there's these three words that we'll say, and we don't think they're big, we don't think they really matter. And here's what we'll say. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. You know, this was the very first lie that Satan told Eve. Satan comes along to Eve and he says, hey, did, did God tell you not to eat from that fruit of the tree in the garden of good and evil? And Eve said, yeah, he did. And Satan's like, it's no big deal. You, you won't really die. Matter of fact, he's holding out on It's no big deal deal you ever said that about a small thing a little secret you kept because it wasn't a big deal maybe 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 something you looked at this it's no big deal a little lie that you told because it's no big deal something you kept from your spouse because it's no big deal hey if it's no big deal then you should just go ahead and take care of it right it's no big deal just just do the right thing a couple of friends of mine were pastors And they both had affairs, had moral failures. And both of them said, you know, it didn't start out with this huge, you know, sex addiction. It started out with them withdrawing themselves from having their personal private time with the Lord every morning. Just a little small step It's no big deal. Hey, what's no big deal in your life right now? What, what behavior? What does nobody know about that? You're thinking, ah, it's no big deal. It's not going to hurt me. One more drink, it's not going to hurt me. Hey, one more glance, it's not going to hurt me. A storm's coming. Now, now we acquiesce some small things, then we completely avoid God, and then we completely just back away from the things that God wants us to do, and we'll avoid being around God's people. We'll avoid being in God's presence. We'll avoid reading God's word, man. We'll just, we'll just avoid God. Have you ever been to the grocery store and you're walking by and you saw somebody and you're like, ooh, I don't wanna to talk to them right now and you just go to the next aisle and you avoid them? Is it only me? Am I the only one that does that? And this is what we do with God. We kind of look away and we look the other way and we begin to avoid, we begin to avoid God. Listen, how are you avoiding God? How are you avoiding God? Just ask yourself the question. What about in your marriage? Are you avoiding God in your marriage? Like like husbands, are you taking time to pray with your wife, to talk about God's word with your wife, are you taking the time to do that? Are, are you avoiding God in your marriage? No talk of him in your marriage. Maybe, just maybe, you're, you're at a difficult place at a conflict in your marriage, and things aren't good right now. And, and this, this happens to me. This happens regularly, and I, I'll be honest, there's a lot of things I understand. I don't understand this one. And so if this is you or somebody you know, you just really need to step in. Because most people, this is what will happen. You know, it's like, ah, uh, we're having a little trouble at home, so we're, just, we're not going to be able to come to church or come to group until we get it straightened out. Like, don't you realize this is the reason you need to come? Like, this is a place where you have a place. This is a place that this, man, we're not a monument to, to, uh, you know, to some rules to follow. Man, we're a hospital to help save people. Like, these are the kind of people that need to come. You need to be here. Hey, listen, are you avoiding God in your marriage? Because you know what? The grass just might be greener. What about in your finances? Are you avoiding God in your finances? When you think about being generous and giving and helping other people, you know, you'll get around to it when you got just a little bit more. Isn't that the lie we always hear? God, man, in fact, man, if God, if you just, man, when I get to that next level, that next level of income, I'm going to help start this homeless shelter. I'm going to give to the church. Man, I'm just going to really help out. Like, are you avoiding God in your finances? Hey, what about those of you who are dating? You avoiding God in your dating? Like, because cause you know what? There may be some people out there that may, that God may not approve of and your, your options may feel like they're limited and you want to keep your options open. God may interfere with that. God may interfere with your sex life before you're married. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to avoid God when it comes to my dating. Hey, hey, what about with your eyes? What things you look at? Are you avoiding God? Things you look at in secret hiding, hiding places of your life in the darkness, like like, are you, are you avoiding God? Jonah, Jonah got on a boat to try to avoid God. Let's watch what happens. Verse four it says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the image you have here is as if God's holding a baseball that is a storm and he throws it at the sea where Jonah is in the boat. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners or the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled their cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. He must've taken Dramamine or something right there. And so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So you see this storm comes up, and storms are just a metaphor in life, aren't they? When we go through difficult times, you know, in some storms we bring on ourselves, and here's the reality, man, storms, storms can save us, or storms can sink us. You know, sometimes, rather than being angry at God for the storm and blaming Him, we should say thank you, because it just might save our lives. You know, when we get into a storm, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe we've done something. Now, now, just a little caveat to that. I don't think you go through a storm that's your fault, that's due to some sin in your life, and you don't know about it. Like, God's not playing uh, Easter egg hunt with you in that. And so if you look at your life and you're in the midst of a storm and you don't have anything identifiable, then more than likely it doesn't seem like that's on you. Even Jesus teaches about this. Now, one little other definition, too, when we think about what sin is, because that's really, that's really politically correct to talk about these days, isn't it? Um, a lot of fun. So sin is just, by definition, it's something that breaks God's heart when it breaks God's laws. Okay, follow me here. God's heart is what gets broken. That's sin because God has put some boundaries in place. There's a way the world works and that we should follow that. So, for instance, we can say gravity is not a thing and jump off a building and guess what happens? you die. Okay. That's just for those of you who don't know. And so that's what happens. Those laws don't, there's a way the world works and God has set it up. There's a way the world works. And when we sin, we break that and the storms can come into our lives and storms kind of pull us off the bench from being spectators and put us in the action. Man, you can't ignore God. In the middle of a storm, you can either blame him or you can thank him, but you can't ignore him. That's what happens. But this is what's called the discipline of God. You know, in Proverbs chapter three, Solomon writes this. He says, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof or same word for discipline. The Lord reproves him whom he what loves, right? Who he loves. And just like a parent would discipline a child, God disciplines his children, like, we've all had that experience. How many of you guys in here are parents? Got a few. How many of you guys were children at one point of your parents? That's everybody. Did, did your parents ever say this to you? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Did anybody ever hear that? Hey, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. I'm a, I'm a parent now. It, 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 I had four kids. Didn't hurt me more than it hurt them. But I think you get the point. Like the point is like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'd rather be your friend, but I have to correct you right now. Otherwise, you're going to touch the stove and burn your hand. Otherwise, you're going to make some decisions that are going to cost you later. And because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to show you the right way. And this is what God is doing to Jonah in the storm. And then Jonah's asleep in the boat, like just trying to avoid looking at God, right? Just trying to avoid having to think about God. Just trying to avoid having to deal with the storm that God has sent, having to deal with his sin. Man, Jonah is just asleep. And and because I I really think that Jonah thinks that because he can't see God, God can't see him. Have you ever noticed when you play hide and seek with kids, this is how they operate? Like I can remember my nephew when he was young, um, like he's really smart now. He's got a PhD in, you know, aeronautical engineering or something. But when he was four, he was not that smart. And he comes through the room one day and he goes over into the corner where there's this big toy bucket and he puts his head over in the toy bucket. I'm like, what is he doing? And my sister comes in and he's in trouble. And he thought, if I can't see her, she can't see me. Like, How many of you have your head in the toy bucket today? Ignoring some things that are happening? how and where, where are you sleeping on God today? It's in the small things, the things you know you should do. It's those times when we get together with other believers, for those of us who follow Jesus, when we get together and we have some accountability, we talk to people about what's going on. It's those times when we go to church and come and worship together. It's those times that we're generous. It's those times where we serve other people. Like, where, where is it that you're sleeping on oh, God? Jonah was asleep in the boat. And then it goes on in verse 7. It says, Jonah said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. Excuse me. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. In other words, whose fault is this? Because we're about to die. Then they said to, to, to him, hey, wait on whose account the evil has come upon us. So they cast lights and the light fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they find out, they find out it's Jonah's fault that they're about to die. This is, this is Jonah's problem. And I think one thing that we need to know is like our, our sin is going to find us out. Eventually, our sins will find us out. There comes a time when we face the ramifications when God will shine a light because of his grace and his kindness. He will shine a light onto our, into our sins so that we can have life. Hey, students, those secrets you're keeping, man, God will find them out. Don't do it. Take it from those of us who suffered the pain of that and don't do it those lies that you tell man you'll be found out so there's two ways that God operates when it comes to this judgment or this discipline one is actively like he immediately comes in and he steps in and he offers some type of punishment but there's another way that's much more dangerous is that you can be living in sin making your own choices and you've had opportunity to repent and to turn around and God just does this if you want to go that way, you can just go that way. And I don't want you to go that way. I want you to stay right here. But if you want to go that way, you can go that way. But it's going to end in suffering and destruction to you and the people around you. And today, if you're here and you know you've got this thing that you're doing and it's no big deal and you don't feel like God's telling you it's a big deal. It could be because he's done this a very, very scary place to be. So Jonah is suffering right now. The men around him are suffering because of his sin. And they ask him who he is. Now here's where I believe the key to his sin is, the key to his running from God is. It's when he tells them who he is. And he says this. He says, I am a Hebrew. It's the first thing he says. He points to a group of people that he belongs to. He defines himself by something other than God. Okay, this is an identity question. He defines himself by his nationality, not by the fact that he's a prophet for God, outside himself. And when we begin to define ourselves and find our identity outside ourselves, there's two things that happen. Number one is that we really don't acknowledge or experience the full value of who and the worth of who we are. We, we define ourselves by what other people think, and it leads to insecurity. It leads to shame. It leads to destruction in our life. It keeps us from living the life that God has called us to live because we've defined ourselves by something that is changing and that doesn't really have our best interest in mind. We lose our self-worth. Hey, the other thing that happens when you define yourself by something, by attaching to another group of people, Hostility towards another group of people when you begin to find yourself by the, the group that you're a part of what happens is you begin to judge other people example from high school so when I was in high school there was just three groups okay you had the athletes you had the band people and you had the smokers remember this so at our high school we had a smoking section okay and so during school lunch break whatever you could go you could go over to the smoking section y'all have smoking section now it's called the parking lot is that what it is Uh, (laughs) so we'd go over and your parents could sign and you could go to the smoking section guess who was never in the smoking section people who were in the band or people who were athletes so which section do you think I was in yeah the smoking section but we defined ourselves, and what happens is you begin to look down on other people. We begin to get hostile and judge other people. When, 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 hey, when, this is why it's important. The, God has told us to love our neighbor as ourself, and we begin to be hostile towards other people. Let me give you some examples. When you define yourself by your political party. You define yourself, whatever it is, Republican or Democrat. I'm not even saying, I'm not even talking about the issues. Clearly, there are issues that we're gonna disagree on. There are, clearly there are issues where we should take a stand. But when we began to be hostile and judgmental and demean other people, listen, we'd miss the gospel. Man, that's, that that one's a little close, but there's some probably that are closer. What about what about on gender arguments? Mmm. Yeah. Like when we begin to side with one, one group over the other, what happens is we begin to be judgmental and hostile and unloving to people. Now, sometimes the most loving thing you can do to someone is point out the error of their ways that's leading to destruction. But to love people, you can't be hostile to them. Like we don't have license to be hostile if we say we follow Jesus. What about the poor? Like think about this for a minute. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this, so I can remember there was a time I did this, but, you know, as you began to get a job and get out of school and you get a college education do all these things and, you know, you see people who were poor or homeless or jobless or whatever, you're like, what bad choices did you make to be in that situation? Why, why are you on the side of the road? That's, that's called judgmentalism. It's called hostility. It's called I'm better than they are. And anytime we begin to define ourselves by the people and the grouping that we're a part of, hostility happens. Let me ask you, hey, which people do you judge? Hey, we, we all do it. I do it. You do it. We all do it. But which people do you judge? Which people are you better than? Which people do you want to win over? Which people do you talk about the most? Which people do you have the most internal turmoil with? Like, who, who, who do you judge the most? That's going to give you an idea into where you're finding your identity. Jonah found his identity not in God but he found it as a Hebrew who was what better than the Ninevites then the story continues in verse 11 says they told said to Jonah what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us for the sea grew more and more tempestuous and he said to them pick me up Hurl me into the sea. Like, what a solution, Jonah. Throw me in the water, and then the sea will quiet down for you. I'm like, Jonah, just jump. I mean, what's the deal? You got to have help? Um, <laughs> For I know it's because of me. I, that's one of the questions I have. You can tell. Um, I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. Really, hard, really important. The men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Lord, don't let us perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Now, the first thing that you see here is Jonah tells them the solution. What do they do? They row harder, they row harder, they want to be independent. Like it reminds me uh, of a story from my little girl. I mean, I guess she's not that little anymore. She's actually going to have a baby this week, which is kind of wild. But my little girl, when she was a little girl, we would go to Home Depot where they would have the little kid projects you could do with your kids. And we would do those. I don't think you're supposed to do them with your kids. I think your kids were supposed to do them. And so there are times, though, when she couldn't do it and she needed a little help from her pops, right? And then what would she say? She'd grab it and say, me do it. Me do it daddy. Me do it. She was the first miss independence. Me do it. Hey we're all. We're all me do it kind of people. God says let me help you. God says if you'll just give that over to me. God says if you'll just surrender. And we say no, we're just going to row harder. We we're, we're going to take care of matters. You see surrendering to God is better than surviving the storm. Surrendering to God is better than just surviving in the storm. You know the the one of the things about the kingdom of God is that it's it's this upside down kingdom. It's the fact the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be great, you should serve. Jesus says, "I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many." That when his disciples argued about greatness and who was going to be first, he says, "Hey, you should serve, and then and then you'll be great." Like this is the opposite of the kingdom. We surrender now. None of us like to surrender. We don't want to wave the white flag because we love to win. Come on, somebody. Like, we love to win. But if we're going to follow God, if we're going to get out of the storm, if we're, to, if we're going to not avoid God, if he's going to have our whole heart, we're not going to compartmentalize him, we've got to learn what it means to surrender our lives to God. This is what happens to Jonah. And one of the pictures here that we all need to see today is that when Jonah goes into the water, it's this image of baptism. baptism. Like, like it's this image of baptism. So Jonah goes into the water. Now, baptism, if you haven't experienced it here, you know, I think last month we baptized like, was it 6,000 kids, Sean? I don't remember. Like 27, something like that. And here's why. Because baptism in the Bible is when you make a step to follow Jesus, you're orienting your life around him. He becomes your God. The Bible teaches that we get baptized as this symbol, this outward symbol of this inner transformation, that when we go under the water, it's this symbol of death, a symbol of surrender. But you don't stay there. You come up out of the water in the same way that Jesus came out of the tomb. And so when you begin to follow Jesus, this, one of the ste- early steps you take is to become baptized. I wonder for some of you if you've ever been baptized. Now, I understand like a lot of you got baptized as kids. And that was really good. Like your parents did that for you. It wasn't your decision. It was theirs. But once you make your decision, the next step for you is to become is to be baptized. And a sin storm becomes a saving storm through surrender. A sin storm becomes a saving storm through surrender. Why, why, wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you surrender? Like, Why won't you surrender to follow God? Like what would be the reason you'd avoid God? Are you afraid? Is it too much? You don't know what to expect not sure what he's going to ask of you he may ask you to go to Nineveh he may ask you to go to Tarshish too you just don't know like why why wouldn't you surrender your life to God oh and then we have the verse verse 17 it says the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days And three nights. You know, Augustine, who is an early church father, he says, This verse of all the verses of the Bible make us laughingstocks to the pagans. People get caught up on this like, what happened? Was it a a fish? Was it a whale? Was it a sea monster? Like, what exactly happened? And I think for us to understand what happened, we should look to the words of our founder, the one who divides time and space, the one who divides history from BC and AD. And the one who was there as the living word of God to put creation in motion. The one who has had more words written about him, more magazine covers, more films, and has written a bestseller. What what does he say about this part of the story of Jonah? Over in Matthew chapter 12, which is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. In Matthew 12, some people were were testing Jesus and wanting to trick him and and were trying to find out more about him so they could have him arrested. And so it says in verse 38, it says some of the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders, okay? They answered Jesus as they said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. You ever ask God for a sign? God, if you'll just show me. God, if you'll just tell me. I'll never do that again. God, if you'll just come through for me, I'll never ask for it again. They wanted to see a sign. They're like, give me some lightning and thunder, Jesus. An earthquake? That'd be awesome. We'd believe in you then. But Jesus answered them An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Don't miss the magnitude of this moment. They're asking for proof that he is the living God. This is his chance to show everybody exactly the reality of who he is. And what does he do? He points to Jonah and he points to Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 and Jesus says this just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth so we know in retrospect that Jesus was executed on a cross that he was placed in a borrowed tomb for three days and rose again on the third day, literally and physically. So what Jesus is saying is that, yeah, Jonah was in the belly of the great fish. Was it a whale? Was it a fish? Who knows? But if you get caught up in that, you're missing the point. That we have a God who rose from the dead? And we get caught up arguing about a fish or a whale or the reality of that? We'll, we'll make some arguments at times so that we can avoid actually dealing with the decision of who Jesus is. Watch what he says in verse 41 as he finishes out. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, this is the people Jonah was supposed to go and preach to, spoiler alert, he ends up going. And they repent, and he says, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here something greater than jonah is here and his name is jesus hey i just i just want to tell you about him man there is a god and he is good and man it doesn't matter what you've been through the things you blamed him for man there's a god he is good just think about all the good things that we have in life You know, every March, I'm just reminded as we make that turn from February to March, man, that God is good. All the things that we love, the sun comes out, we see the blue sky, the flowers begin to bloom, the animals come out. I mean, you've got March madness that happens. You've got the masters is just around the corner. Man, American Idol comes back on like everything we love about life, everything that is good. He did it. Whatever you enjoy in life, God did that. Hands down, case closed, you didn't do anything on your own. Thank good. God is good, but there's a problem. The problem is we're like Jonah. Man, we we try to avoid God in certain areas. Maybe it's just one area or two areas, but you avoid God in one area, you're avoiding him in all. And when you start picking and choosing him, you won't even be a person of faith in two years. And we start avoiding God in areas of our life. It's called sin. Man, it's destructive and devastating. Man, but there's a solution. And his name is Jesus that He is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That everything that was created was created by him and for him, whether heaven, earth, visible, or invisible. That he is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that in Everything, he might be preeminent. Man, we have a solution, and he's been chasing us. He's chasing you, he's chasing me, and he's always available. And there is one response to that, to that love, that compassion, one response. Surrendering our life. Surrendering our life. Like, why wouldn't we do that? Like, aren't you tired of running? Let's pray together. You know, just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, the stillness of a moment, we don't get many of these. Man, today you know that's you. Something I said was you, you feel like somebody told me to tell you that. Somebody did, it was the Lord. <laughs> oh, man, there, I, can't, I can't make that kind of stuff up. But you know, you know you need to surrender. You know you need to stop running. You know it's time that you've been avoiding God in certain areas. Man, there's secrets that you're keeping. There's darkness that you're living in that you don't think anybody knows about. And, man, today's the day. You just really want to begin to follow Jesus today, to finally get around the arguments that you've created in your own mind, the skepticism that's only been a tool, it's only been a ploy to keep you at arm's length from God. And if that's you today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And, and it's not that I'm saying some magical words, but it, that it's the prayer of your heart. Remember, God is after your heart. And if you want to do that, I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me. Dear God, I'm tired of running. Thanks for chasing me. I trust Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to him right now. You know, and the Bible teaches that when we do that, God's spirit comes into our heart, makes us a new person. Man, we get a new identity. We get new motivations. We get a new life. And if that was you today, just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to help you mark the moment. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three. And if that was you today, I'm going to ask you to join a lot of people from the first service. I'm going to ask you just to put your hand in the air and make eye contact. It's just this small symbol of surrender that has massive meaning in your life. So on the count of three, if that's you, just raise your hand and make eye contact. One, two, three. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thanks. Amen. Thank you. That's awesome. Lord, you're a God who promises that you're with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us, that if we follow you, God, while we're not going to be perfect, God, you're right there with us. Lord, I just pray for all the people in the room you're chasing today. God, people who are feeling some sense of shame and regret about some things that they've done. Lord, some ways that they've acted, some sins that they've committed, some things they just can't seem to get past, that, God, you'd release them today. God, that we would just experience the freedom that comes from knowing you. God, that we wouldn't have to be Jonah thrown into the water and sleeping in the belly of the ship, God, and then falling asleep in the belly of a fish, Lord. God, that you would just be with us, Lord. Give us the courage that we need, God, to be able to erase shame, to find our identity only in you. God, that we will walk away from here being different because you're different and you've called us to a different life. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody say, amen.